This episode of the Police One Podcast is sponsored by Officer Store. Learn more about getting the gear you need at prices you can afford by visiting officerstore.com. Hey there, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, thanks for checking in and be sure and check us out on YouTube as well. Well, you know, it's a thankless job policing, but there's another one that's pretty similar on the lines of doing really hard work, dealing with stressful situations and having a thankless job. We're sometimes take it for granted in public safety, the people who pick up that 911 call, take down the information and forward them to emergency dispatchers or communication workers. So much goes on behind the scenes and so often the situations are so stressful. But anecdotal calls are not the only stressor for emergency communications operators. Today, we will hear about how Carbine, the global leader in cloud native emergency call management in partnership with NANA, the 911 association announcing the groundbreakings of their findings of their inaugural pulse of the 911 state of the industry survey. The first of its kind survey unveils compelling insights into the critical challenges faced by the 911 call center staff. And believe me, over my years, I've had some great dealings with 911 dispatchers and in stressful situations, even we have conflicts. And I was just talking to our guests about how I've ended up going back to our 911 call center with a box of chocolates uh, at times or a box of donuts just to say how thankful we are and uh, how sorry we get in such stressful situations. Well, Karima Holmes is the Vice President of Public Safety at Carbine. She is a distinguished senior leader and advisor. She has served as Executive Director at Emergency Communication Centers across the U.S., where she overhauled technical infrastructure and critical public safety programs. She's also leveraged her industry experience to establish partnerships with local, federal, and international public safety and homeland security response agencies. Well, thanks so much for what you do, and welcome to the show, Karima Holmes. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Jim. Yeah, and in the introduction, maybe our listeners don't get the full breath that you've served that front line answering calls and dispatching emergencies as well. What prompted... Uh, you to look into uh, the pulse of the industry today. Sure. So as you said, um, I come from 911. I have been working at 911 for over about 25 years now. And um, I've worked in small, medium, and large 911 centers in Georgia, Dallas, and uh, um, in D.C. I ran the D.C. 911 center for the last seven years. And so once coming on to Carbine, um, we we partner with the National Emergency Number Association, Nina, and we knew that there was something here in 911 Center that was just really, it's like, just like this push, right? We all know they were high stressed. We also had started hearing from 911 directors that staffing had become an issue. And so, you know, you can't mix, mix staffing, stress, and then stress from the other end of the call. And so we did this survey. We sent it out to all of the Nina contacts and all of Carbine's contacts, and we got 
about 900 responses. I think the number was like 850 or something like that, which is great for a survey across the country. Every state responded, someone in every state responded. Um, we had call takers, dispatchers, um, supervisors, directors respond. And we just literally wanted to get like the feel of now what is going on out there? Because we have all, there's almost, think there's almost 6,000 911 centers in this country. Can you believe that? But there's almost 6,000 911 centers in this country. And so you hear these different rumblings of what we're struggling with. And so we wanted to kind of put that all in one. So we sent this survey out. We got the respondents, you know, the responses back. We mined the data and that's what you got with our results, um, which is what we knew, right? 911 is completely stressed. Um, the understaffing is the biggest problem. Um, technology is definitely needed. And next generation 911, although it doesn't solve all the problems, will help solve that. Yeah, so what, what did you find as a common theme across the country? What was repeated uh, that probably didn't surprise you? I think what I found is that the call takers, dispatchers, managers, supervisors, and trainers are stressed. Um, the amount of calls that they're receiving has definitely spiked over the years. Um, they're having a higher call volume. I also was able to talk to one of the respondents and found that not only are we having a higher call volume across the country, the type of calls are a little more stressful. And what I mean by that is, if you think about 911 20, 30 years ago, we didn't deal with um, active shooters like we do now. Not that there wasn't any, right? But the type of calls we're getting, the type of violence, the entire country went through gun violence over the last couple of years that spiked, especially in urban centers. 911 was not um, shielded from that, right? The initial calls come into 911. And so having that toppled with these 911 centers, some 911 centers reported being 50% short on personnel, 50%. So that means if you have a four-man crew, you only have two people answering these 911 calls. And so that was the biggest slap in the face for me um, that came from 911. Even though I knew it, I didn't know it was quite this bad. Mm. Yeah, and technology, we keep talking about technology and dispatch, and it makes sense. I mean, the... You, know, you talk about 40 years ago, uh, maybe a dispatcher uh, call center operator answered the phone, wrote it down, passed it on a card, or maybe relayed it on uh, a radio herself or himself. And now we've got so much technology. And, and even in a radio car, you know, we've got these mobile vehicle terminals and AL license plate readers and alerts and information. And uh, how has a emergency communications operator evolved with all this technology. I mean, now you're, you're, you're talking about things like live 911 and uh, drones and getting crime maps and everything else. How is that impacting today's dispatch personnel? So great. I'm so happy you said that because that's exactly right. So in the olden days, 911 was almost like a conduit, right? You just get the information, you pass it on. You get the information, you pass it on. But 911 has morphed into, we actually give a lot of pre-arrival instructions or pre-dispatch instructions. And what that is, is once we get the call, whatever it is, it's a baby choking on a grate, my husband's not breathing, we are starting medical CPR, you know, the Heimlich. We're actually doing this 
on the call while we're putting the call in for it to be dispatched out to our unit. So that's a new piece that's in there. Um, we're also helping with um, situational awareness for our responders, right? We're having to be conscious of the caller, conscious of the caller surroundings and is an active shooter. You know, where are they? Where are you? Can you hide? You know, we're having to talk people through this. And then our responders on the way, we have a dispatcher that's now giving information out. With technology, it has definitely grown. We could we could definitely go a little um, further with technology because the the misfortune with technology is it costs, and so a lot of 911 centers are lacking the resources to get the technology they need. You um, they need rather. You mentioned video and and that type of 911 which we do provide at Carbine. So you have this type of technology that comes in. You want to make sure you do something with it, right? You have a call taker that's on the phone. She now gets to see the scene. How do you manage that, right? How does she take that information and put it into words to send it out? Um, surprising, uh, what we have found is our, our customers that do use video. You know, in the industry, I think we thought video was going to cause more problems than 911. Like to see this, how would the call taker handle it? Um, there's two things. One thing is you could actually blur the video. As a call taker, you don't have to see it. Someone else can look at it. But what our call takers are telling us is it actually helps right size the call. Uh, we had an example where um, someone called and I think they, you know, cry bloody murder, right? Whatever happened to their arm. But once the call taker saw it, she realized, oh, okay, I don't need to send the Calvary. I can send an EMC or a paramedic. It's not as bad, you know, but then there's also the situation where we had a caller that her boat um, went ashore somewhere in a place. She didn't know where she was, right? Because there's not a street cross in, you know, the middle of the lake. And um, she just kind of took her video and she scanned where she was. You know, so the call taker, one of the officers through, you know, looking at the video was like, oh, you're at such and such creek or you're at this area and was able to get help. So technology has come in and helped us with it. I think the one thing that I do want to add to this, which adds to the staffing issue that we saw, when you have that type of technology, though, what that does is it has the call taker doing multiple things at one time. Right. Mm -hmm. So not, not only am I just talking to you, I'm talking to you. I'm looking at what you're showing me. I'm taking in situational awareness. I'm typing information. And so you want to make sure that that is pretty seamless. And you also want to make sure that the person doing all of that is not stressed the heck out mm -hmm. <laughs> because the ship is short because they're having to digest all of this information. So technology will definitely help, but I do think we have to address the staffing issue first to make sure technology is optimally um, used. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would imagine that GPS is a big factor too, where you could probably get information by pinging phones and, and getting yeah. pinpoint yeah, so, locations. Oh, definitely. So, you know, GPS and location data was huge, um, a huge burden. Um, and so about 10, 15 years ago, we really started talking about it. You know, people call 911. Back when I started 25 years ago, everybody called from their landline. So you knew mm. where they were because you got the address. Well, as it started changing, now about 82% of 911 calls are from cell phones. You know, I'm here with my 16-year-old. We have two cell phones. We don't have a home. So when you call 911, you need that location. 
our carriers, the FCC has definitely worked really hard to make sure that we're getting the actual device location versus the tower. It is better. It's not 100%, but it is better where we're actually getting location of the caller versus the location of the tower. The other thing that that helps with um, a couple, maybe not a couple years ago, maybe about seven, eight years ago, um, there was a small study that tried to figure out how long does it take a 911 call taker to get the address when you're calling from a cell phone, right? And it was 40 seconds. Now, I know when you say 40 seconds, you're like, 40 seconds? But think about 40 seconds, you know, one, two, 40 seconds is a long time. And so we want to make sure that when that data comes in, you know, that we have the actual location um, that we can dispatch someone out to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 40 seconds, long time. Try holding your breath for 40 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it's not surprising that one of the issues uh, discussed in the Carbine survey talked about mental health and wellness, and it was an issue with 74% of respondents. It seems consistent with all areas of public safety, any position. How does it affect emergency communications people? Sure. So, yes, 74% um, did uh, respond about their mental health, their wellness, and how staff burnout has contributed um, negatively to that. Um, I think with emergency services, one of the things that uh, I, I was a part of this large PSAP group, which is like large 911 centers, D.C., New York, Chicago, and we were all talking and, you know, there had been, um, there has been, uh, not necessarily studies, but there are 911 call takers and dispatchers that suffer from PTSD and vicarious PTSD, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were thinking like, well, we're not on the scene, right? The police and the fire, they get out there, they're the ones dealing with all of this. But what we found is when someone dials 911, it is at the height of the emergency, right? Many emergencies, by the time police and fire gets there, it has come down some now. It's not completely solved, and sometimes the suspect may still be on the area. But a lot of times, people dial 911 when it first hits, right? When the person first starts choking, when the sh the shooting just occurred, when the, the purse just got snatched. And so the person's call is just heightened. And so you're taking that call um, in 911, you know, you're, it's very jarring. And you're taking that call and you're trying to get this information out of somebody that has been either, you know, a victim of a crime or they're experiencing some life situation that's dire. And so our stress levels do peak up. The other thing that we found, you know, not comparing against our brothers and sisters in the field, because we obviously love you guys to death, right? Because that's what we're there to protect you. But the other thing that we found is we take those calls. Those are like two-minute calls. We hang up and we take another one. And we hang up and we take another one. So in D.C., for instance, one call taker takes over 200 calls a day, right? All of those calls are not dead, you know, emergencies, but about 50% of them are real deal emergencies. And so imagine you, you know, a police officer goes out, they usually have one in a bigger city, probably one, two or three calls a day that are, you know, very time consuming. They're out there for two or three hours. Well, now we're taking like 30, 40 calls in that period of people calling with emergencies. And so I know that contributes to, 
you know, the stress and then, you know, back to the sad thing, not having enough people. They're working the same hours. We work usually 10, 12 hour shifts. Um, over time, a lot of 911 centers are having um, mandatory holdovers where, you know, you're working 12 hours. They don't have enough people. So you have to work. Can you imagine that? Um, and so all of that just definitely, you know, hits. And then lastly, um, I'll just add that we're human. These calls will pull you, and I know you know this, they are, we hear some stuff and those calls are really hard. We get calls from kids. Sometimes you can't help, you can't get where they are, you cannot, the CPR did not work. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of that goes into um, our stress levels. Um, but it's, this is cliche to say, but it's the truth. Somebody's got to do it, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we want to do it. I enjoy my job. I love 911. And I know that that's what we're here to do. It's just we need the help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we could talk a little bit more about, you know, how dispatch people decompress. I know the old days, how we all decompress. So we don't do that so much anymore. But uh, first, I'd like to talk uh, about our sponsor. I'd like to hear from our sponsor and we'll get right back. Officer Store, equipping protectors with passion. That's how we operate, and it's how we live. We understand that having the right gear can mean the difference between life and death. Our goal is to get you the gear you need, when you need it, at prices you can afford. Visit us at officerstore.com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Karima Holmes, the Vice President of Public Safety at Carbine, and we're talking about communications, dispatching, uh, the carbine survey, and all the respondents' messages about mental health, about dealing with stress, about taking so many calls for service, and doing it at half staffing. Well, training is another issue that affects everyone and how well they can do their job. Uh, it dominoes to confidence and efficiency and effectiveness, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And what we found in the survey is that a lot of respondents talked about training, right? Because, you know, that's a that's a normal response. Well, you know, will the stress help if you have more training? And there were three things that the respondents said that they felt they didn't have enough training on. Active shooter, um, uh, uh, like riots and civil disturbances, and then the, the, the rising call volume and the, the peak of calls. And, you know, I was a trainer once, and I think one of the things, and I don't know if anyone really has this under their pocket of how to respond to an active shooter. We do have active shooter training, um, the National Emergency Number Association and APCO, which is the Association of Public Safety Communication Officials. They have training. Most, I'm not going to say all, but the greater majority of 911 centers do give some type of active shooter training to their 911 center. What our call takers is talking about is when it happens. Right. It's just like a police officer. Right. You have all this training. You have SWAT. You have all of this. When it happens, do you ever really feel prepared? You know, I know we read it all. We take the test at the end and we get our little badge. But when it actually happens, how do you handle that? Um, I was a part of a, um, a panel discussion that talked about the Navy Yard shooting back in 2013, I think, here in D.C. And what we were talking about was when the call some of the call takers were on the phone with folks that were hiding in their office right 
you know the things to tell them. Hi, did you see that? But there's this other human part of the conversation. You know, you're on the phone with somebody. You hear gunfire, and the person says, "Should I stay or should I leave?" Just imagine as a human having to say hide or leave. You like we really you don't know. You know, you have to just. Say what you say. You know, we had one where a young lady told her, just go in the closet, just hold the door, and thank God the shooter didn't make it. But those type of things you you can't get trained for. You have to just have some of those back. And so they talk about that. The other thing is, um, 911 went through the whole 2020 just like everyone else, right? We went through the whole COVID. Um, we were short people in our center had COVID. I had employees that passed away during that, that year. Um, and then we had the, the, the protest summer that, you know, some of us like to call it, right? Where we had um, a huge protest in cities and things like that. And there was a lot of violence. And so when you have those type of calls, even though there is a protocol on how do you handle civil disturbance, when, you, when you're getting those calls, you know, how do you handle it? What do you say? We had people, you know, downtown D.C. that were calling because the protests were blocking their driveway, right? How do you how do you move thousands of people to let somebody out their home? But they need to also get out their home, right? And so, like, those type of things, when you look at training, I do think helps. Um, we have gotten better. And I hate to go back to this, but I think it's the truth, and I think it's something we can't ignore. Training requires resources money and people. I I had 400 employees, right? 20 something call takers a day on shift. I almost couldn't pull five people off the floor to take training because the call volume was so high. And so sometimes the training that's needed is not necessarily that it's not there. We just don't have the space and the time to get them through training. Um, and so one, I did an op-ed about a month or so ago that talked about how technology will help. And, and although now I do work for Carbon, a technology company that provides this technology, I also wrote it on behalf of just being in the industry. And I think um, one of the numbers that came out of the survey, or I know one of the numbers that came out of the survey said about 53% of call centers say they suffer from misdials which are calls that come into the 911 center that are not 911, they're butt dials or whatever. Um, and there's technology that can filter those calls out, right? But we have to adopt that technology. So imagine if you had, you know, whatever the number is, a quarter of your calls shaved off because they're not even real calls, then you need a quarter of the workforce now, right? So that helps with the staffing. And so that's where the technology piece comes in too. Yeah, for sure. And I remember going to those uh, butt dials, if you will, to, you know, you can't ignore them, right? I mean, maybe it is someone trying to secretly call 911 and, you know, the suspect is right there. So you've got to investigate it. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, with Carbine uh, being a software company, are we ever going to get to AI answering calls for service um, to prioritize them? Yeah, so Carbon actually right now we use AI. Um, we're actually one of the leading um, providers in AI technology used to triage calls. So we recently just um, unveiled technology earlier this summer. It's called our call triage. So most 911 centers, right? There's an accident on I whatever, 295, 95, 90. And um, 
everybody calls 911 for that accident. And when you're in larger cities, that means hundreds of people. And if it is during rush hour, you're talking about a couple hundred people actually pick up and call 911 for one reason. They want to make sure the person's okay. And also they are trying to get through and they want us to come move the car. Well, we have technology now out of Carbine that triages the call. So you as a leader, a director in the 911 center, you can say, if I get an accident within 25 meters or 50 meters of that first accident going in, if there's a 911 call in that area, instead of sending it to a 911 call, verify that it's about that accident. Mm. If it is, tell them we already know about it. Ask them if they want to still talk to a call taker or they were just letting us know. Drop that call off, right? Because you have to remember, right? You're getting all those calls, but the elderly lady is still, you know, could still fall in the grocery store. Mm. Or, you know, the the wife could stab the husband, right? You're still having the other 911 calls that go on across the city. Um, and it doesn't affect those calls, right? Those calls will still come in normal, but it allows those calls because we we actually were doing that as humans, you know, 911, yeah, I'm calling out, yeah, we're on the way to the accident. Is there any injuries? No. Do you have any other information? No. I mean, that's what, 40 seconds of me talking and then saying, okay, we're already on the way. Thank you. Okay, bye. Click 911, you know, and those calls could come off. So there is AI that is being used for that. And the other piece that I'll tell you, um, the AI is being used um, with our technology at Carbon is um, audio translation. So right now in the majority of 911 centers, when someone calls and they speak a different language that the call taker, you know, can't handle, we actually have to put the caller on hold. We call this thing called the language line. It rings. They answer, we say, we have someone that's speaking a language I don't know. We connect the two, the person starts talking, then the call, the, the language line says, oh, they're speaking Swahili or they're speaking Spanish. And then they get the person speaks and then they start talking and then they talk. 13 minutes, I think, is the average for this. Well, at Carbine, we have um, uh, translation services that is automatic, which means you know, 911, can I help you? You start speaking hello, you know, you start speaking whatever. The AI picks up the language. No one has to tell them. And that AI starts um, typing out for you what they're audibly saying in English for you. And then you start speaking in English, right? What kind of car are you in? It goes back to them audible, you know, what type of car are you in in their language? amazing right yeah right um, and so we actually just unveiled that two-way translation uh this past week and so people are really excited especially our border states um in dc for instance we have a very heavy ethiopian population that speaks amaric and so that's key um so yes ai is definitely coming in and helping out nice yeah that's a game changer i haven't heard of that before so switching gears a little bit, uh, leadership and diversity were issues of importance that ranked high on the survey. And what did you find out about that? So sure. So a couple of things. Um, we actually found out that <clears throat> our centers are pretty diverse, which I was happy to see, um, that the demographics of the city do, of the center do match the community, about 76% that they do, and over 60% live in their community, which is always key in public safety, right? You want the folks that live here to actually work in, um, work in the center because it helps a lot. 
the other thing that I thought was really um, important to hear is that with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, a great majority of 911 centers say that they, I mean, 911 respondents say that they feel very comfortable in who they are in the 911 center and expressing who they are, you know, whether Black woman, you know, female, gay, lesbian, whatever. They feel comfortable. And I thought that that was really huge because I know our society is definitely going through a reckoning with that right now. And it's just really good to say that we're very inclusive and we're um, accepting the the only I would say negative thing that I did hear about the management versus the employees, um, or it's, it's two. One is major, one is small. The major thing is that when you asked about the stress level, uh, a great majority of respondents said that the management was their highest stressor, right? And you know I took that to waste because I've been in all the positions. I've been a call taker and I've been director. And I think what, what they're feeling, right, we have, obviously, every profession has bad managers, right? But what we're feeling is the stress that the directors are feeling, right? The limited resources, the staffing, it may be spilling over to the, to the employees, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's like a parent, right? You have a scarred parent, they're going to scar the children. And so we, as leaders, just have to be conscious of that. The other piece that I found not as bad, but very interesting when we talked about technology, the directors that responded were way more optimistic about technology helping than the call takers and dispatchers. So the directors felt that technology would definitely help with some of these um, problems and the call takers and dispatchers was like, no, it won't. And, you know, I don't know the reason behind that. Karima's opinion is we probably need to do a better under we need a better job of explaining technology to our you know call takers and dispatchers because they wouldn't be privy to some of that um but overall i was pretty impressed with the the responses about diversity equity inclusion obviously in 911 um it has always hasn't always, but it has um, majorly been a, a woman-led profession just because in back in the day, it usually was the females that worked in the dispatch center, and um, that has kind of stayed the course. But overall, I was really impressed by most of their responses. Yeah, absolutely. And the le- believe me, the leadership issue is huge in public safety across the board, And it really touches on so many issues of recruiting and retention and job satisfaction and recognition and Mm -hmm. all all of those things. So with good leadership, you know, it's almost like a referee in a in a sporting event. Uh, If you don't know the referees were even there at the game, it's awesome. Right. But we certainly know when there's a bad one there. Yeah. Yeah. So and the positive takeaways, I'm sure there were positive takeaways. I, I mean. We in San Francisco, my my old police department, the SFPD, recognizes the dispatcher of the month in the in their publication and talks about the, the service, the work they've done, maybe highlight on a call of exemplary work. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you hearing back from positive uh, uh, respondents? Sure. So I think the, the one thing that I was really happy to see, and I, I, I kind of knew this, but the greater majority, I think over 85%, actually like their job. They actually like what they do. 
which is good <laughs> for the world. Um, <laughs> they actually like what they do. And I know I like being a call taker. I liked when I was a supervisor in QA. So the catch for me in that is we have people that like the job. Um, we have got to help them, right? Because we want them to stay in the job. The survey uh, talked about the retirement age. So what we have is, and we saw this across law enforcement, right? You have this group of folks, right? Because I, I come from Generation X. So I'm not a millennial. People think I am, but I'm not. I'm Generation X. And so we were raised that you get into a profession and you stick with it to the end. And so you have this group like me, the age that's pushing up to 50, right? We came into this profession. We're here. We're going to retire here. But the new group is not coming in. And so what you have is the group before me, the 60, 65, they're, they're retiring out. But we don't have that door. We don't have the influx coming in the door. And so it's an imbalance. And so we have got to figure out a way to make the job appeasing to the nice. other generation. And so that's a positive and a negative. The positive is those of us that's in, we usually stay in, we retire. You have all of this knowledge and industry background that sticks with us. But unfortunately, we don't have the group that's coming in. The millennials, the Gen Zers are not, public safety is not as appetizing as it used to be. Hmm. And so if they're not coming in, we're, you know, we're going to tilt and we, we don't want to tilt. And so we have to do a couple of things. Technology will help, right? We mm -hmm. were talking about filtering out calls, the translation, saving time. So if you're not taking five, 10 minutes on a call, you need less people. And then we also need to figure out what millennials and Gen Zers want. And really quickly, I'll add in the op-ed that I wrote, what I said in, in a way was, I grew up taking typing, right? I had to type 40 words per minute. You know, that was big, right? My son has never taken typing. He has no idea about the home roll uh, keys. Right? He doesn't know that. <laughs> right? Technology today, what we're scared of, the AI and everything, that group, they would love it because that's what they grew up on. You try and bring in a 19-year-old. I was 19 when I started. You try and bring in a 19-year-old and show them our little mouth and our big old heavy, they're going to be like, but if you show them what I just explained to you would call triage, language translation, that's what they work with. That's that's not to us. It's like, oh, my goodness. Right. But to this new group, this is how they live. They live in AI. They live in instant. They live in very short key. They abbreviate everything. Right. And so we have got to change the way we are doing things so we can attract the new group. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine that uh, the, the professions evolved from you know, tactile tapping on keys to more visual where they see screens and crime maps and locations yeah. and videos and things like that. So, yeah. And that all, just like you said, that's right down the, the wheelhouse of the Gen Xers, the Gen Zers and, and everybody coming afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think about even when, you know, even just for me, you know, I haven't been on the phone in years, but sometimes when I see some of the stuff, it's overwhelming for me, but I'm sure my 16-year-old look at that and be like, eh, you know, eh. 
Um, so I think that we are coming to grips with that. And then like, if I could just add here, Jim, too, because I don't want to put all the stress back on the 911 directors and leaders. There is legislation out there. There is um, legislation in the House right now to input about $15 billion. And all that does is everything you and I talked about today, the technology, the training, the people, $15 billion, a study was done and it found that $15 billion, if we could get that approved, we could overhaul all the 911 centers in the country with the technology, the training, and the people they needed. That's all we're asking for. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is um, legislation there that helps with that. It has passed the subcommittee. Is at the um, the larger house, and so we're hoping that get passed. And then the other piece of legislation I just I have to bring up here is right now 911 professionals are classified as clerical staff, um, and um, and that's what I'm talking about with the OPM at the federal level. And oh, my mom was a secretary for 38 years, and she was great at it. But I know what I did in 911 is not secretarial work. Um, we are first responders. Um, and so we have a push for that. It's called the SAVES Act. We're asking for that to reclassify ourselves as first responders to put us in the category of police, fire, EMS um, for a couple of reasons. That's where we belong. And then the other reason is it also makes it attractive to some of those people we're trying to recruit um, because you're coming in, you're coming into an actual career, and we want to make sure that we're right-sized as first responders. Yeah, well, those of us in the industry already recognize that, right? And when, and I teach, and so students ask me about the career, the public safety career, and some of them say, yeah, but I don't ever want to wear a gun. And I'm telling them all about emergency communications yeah. and, and uh, emergency management and all the other ancillary services that can be done yeah. without putting on a vest and without carrying a gun. Karima Holmes, thank you so much for what you do. And thanks to all our emergency communications dispatch people out there. We sometimes we get testy, but we so appreciate what you do. Thank you for having me, Jim. It was my absolute pleasure. Oh, great. Thank you. Hey, and I just want to say to our non-law uh, enforcement listeners, um, you heard what Karima said about the major car crash and everybody calling in. Still make that call. Uh, I know sometimes we, people pull out their phones, but they're taking a video and they're not calling in. So we more calls than less or none at all. So keep that in mind. Hey, to our listeners out there, let me know what you think. Let me know that you, you thought Karima Holmes was interesting. We put some show notes down. Her full bio is there. It was too big to talk about at the beginning. And also the link to her article and the, the link to the Carbine survey. All right, let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. Drop me an email, policingmatters at police1.com. Let me know what you think. And hey, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we would appreciate it. All right, take good care and talk to you again real soon. Bye.